Hey, everybody. We are back finally. Welcome to the Comics Table. It's the Comics Table, everybody. My name is Sweet P, Patrick Holbert. And I'm Sweet T, Tristan Smith. Uh, man, I missed you. I missed your face in this rehearsal studio. I know. I I'm, I really missed renting a space for $20 an hour. Where you can lug gear from your apartment. And... Uh, be in a windowless room. It makes a lot of logical sense, like logistical sense, to uh, bring an entire podcasting studio somewhere else. I think so. Yeah. Um, so we're in the lovely, I don't know, Ripley Greer Studios in uh, Midtown Manhattan. Midtown Actually, Manhattan. this is not lovely. I, I was driving around here all day today. I was helping my wife return some clothes from, uh, she works in fashion. She had this big shoot this weekend, and I was doing her the favor of sitting in the car while she delivered items of clothing back. And we were on this avenue, 8th Avenue, between 35th and, like, the bus terminal. Uh, it's really, it's a really bleak area of New York City. And I, I had a sadness that turned into pure anger. I was angry, and we ended up bickering pretty intensely. Now, knowing you, Patrick, uh, that must have taken the form in being just extra polite, right? It, it started as extra polite, but by the end of the day in the car together, it was just like, get the fuck out. Let's go our separate ways and reconvene later tonight. But there, there's just so many mentally ill people that are really at the end of their rope, uh, but they're out doing things. What, what errands are being run or being shuffled by these people, and, and how are they not getting more help? I, was, know, I discovered a new version of mentally ill people in New York. Um, it's called pedestrians, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, I, uh, since, we, since we've last taken or recorded... Or done anything with this podcast? I have bought a skateboard, yeah, uh, because I'm a child, and uh, it's an electric skateboard. It goes like 22 miles an hour, which is super dangerous. It's insane. It's really, really dangerous, and I love it. I just have a great time. But people fucking walk. Just I've just noticed this now as as a uh, screaming down the road. People just walk into the road. They don't look left. They don't look right. They're either looking down their phone or they're just looking straight ahead. They don't even have the phone. They're just looking like across the street at the place that they're going to, and um. You know, I nearly kill at least three or four people every day, including myself. Including yeah, you've myself. you've you've taken some spills. I oh yes, I got hit by a car. I'm looking at a scar on a your head right now. But that wasn't that wasn't my fault, and that wasn't from New York either. That was I went down to Brigantine. Um, for those of you that don't know, that's um, that's uh, a beach south of Atlantic City, so real classy like New Jersey, um, New Jersey. And of course, I got hit by a driver from Staten Island, right? <laughs> You they went all that way to get run over by another New Yorker. They followed me down, yeah. Uh, you should not be on the skateboard. It will be the death of you. Possibly. Uh, we should be. probably put it on record today that you love your family. I and do. Uh, yeah. you've, you've had a nice life. It's been a beautiful life, you know. Uh, yeah, people don't see. I, I, I'm getting rid of the motorcycle because I got hit on the motorcycle, and it's the same thing, man. Well, they don't see you. Well, quitters never prosper is what I think. Well, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if this skateboard is really worth it, then good luck. Uh but yeah, the a lot has happened these last six months. We shouldn't go over every every detail. No, because it, it's kind of boring. Yeah, it's a little it's a little boring. And I don't know why I started with my feelings about this neighborhood. It's fine. That's but you that's, know we're just off the cuff, my man. Yeah, you know we're getting back into the practice of it. It's the twentieth episode. This is this is huge. That's kind of a you know that's 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 special for us who uh, don't. I mean, for me personally, who never accomplishes anything or follows anything through. Yeah, yeah. what have you done twenty times other than fail? Uh, what what sort of positive things? Jerk have you off, done? maybe. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's a very positive. Feels great. You did that within a month of starting that practice, probably. Yeah, within like two days. Yeah. Yeah. 
Thank God it took until the four-minute mark until somebody mentioned. Right. We, well, we can't go an episode without talking about a dick or masturbation yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Well, uh, luckily we very have the, home, very homoerotic podcast. Yeah. yeah, and and luckily we have the perfect guest for that. We sort do. Of topic. Um, this next guest, uh, we actually have a bit of a, you know, uh, I don't want to say celebrity. Um, <laughs> no, I, I would say celebrities on TV. Well, you know, yeah, compared to our normal fare, I mean, this guy. This is a good guest. I don't want to hear celebrity either, so we're <laughs> we're in sync. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the podcast, Joe DeVito. Joe DeVito, everybody. Hello, guys. Straight out of Goodfellas. At least it's, that's what the name sounds like. Yeah. But Thank you so much for joining us. because you're a very nice guy. You're a very friendly guy. I am. I believe uh, Joe Pesci's character's name was Tommy DeVito. Yeah. Oh, nice. And his real name is Joe Pesci. There you go. So there you go. So basically, he's got the real and fake name of Joe and you Joe are Pesci. like if if the if the guy's got to send a guy out, you'd be the first guy they send to say you need to get us your money. You'd do it in a nice way. Uh, hey Joe Davida, yeah. go get your shoe shine box. Yeah, <laughs> I would be the guy if you said that to me. I would actually offer a quality shoe shine. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I can see my fucking face in here. But I feel like you you've you've knocked somebody out in your life. Me? Yeah. Um, no, I'm a lover, not a... F- well... Have you knocked somebody up then? Maybe uh, I'm not a lover. Maybe I'm a card player. But you're you're like a Long Island... Like Long Island? Did you grow up in Long no, Island? No, I actually grew up in Connecticut. No shit. Yeah, oh, and... Man. It's getting less gangster all the time. I know. Was born in Manhattan, but grew up in Connecticut. Okay, there you go. What town? In Connecticut? New Milford. Mm. My, My wife's from New London. Is that, where, is, is that just a bunch yeah. of hot moms that live there? It was hillbilly when I was growing oh, up. Oh, yeah. Now it's um. You heard the milf of Milford. That's and right. You're like hot moms. We put right. the milf in yeah. now, oh, please. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so very Italian family in Connecticut. There's not a ton of those. Are we there? Uh, were considered exotic mm-hmm. when we first moved there. We moved from the, my parents grew up in the Bronx, and that's very exotic. It is. Well, for them, uh, it's just generic white people where we were. My mother told me when I was a kid, a neighbor assumed my dad was a barber. Because he had an Italian last name and he was off on Mondays. That was all <laughs> she needed to know. What year, well, what, what was, year was that? What year was that? That was uh, early 70s. Okay, that lines up. <laughs> it does. The math <laughs> The math works out. That works out. What was your dad? He uh, worked for a publishing company in the computer forms room. Oh. I don't think anything in that job still exists. The company's gone. Yeah. Uh, and was he a creative person? Or? No. Okay. Uh, it was, uh, he moved there because they had a management trainee program and... My parents knew if they didn't get out of the Bronx, they were going to grow up to be exactly like everyone else they knew. And they think even as a baby, they knew that I couldn't handle city life. I was too weak. So you live in the city now? No, I'm Long Island. Oh, you're from Long Island. So I want to. So so that's interesting. You talk about being weak, and and I've got this tough guy image in my head in my head of you. I, I think it's because I you you work out. You're a very strong guy. I try, from what I, I see I in your through, Instagram videos. I went through a brief trying to be a tough guy phase of a couple of years where I had my tattoos. I was learning. I was doing submission. Where grappling. do you have tattoos, Joe? I'm arms, legs. Got one inside my lower lip that used to say rock and roll. And now it looks like a UPC code. Nice oh, shit. Interesting. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good opener for yeah. on a date. Like that's good to scare a new dentist. Uh-huh. Yeah. Explain that. Hey baby, do you have a scanner in your mouth? Because I got a UPC code. It says green beans yeah. on sale. It's also good if you see some huge guy with a tiny tattoo who's complaining about how much it hurts. Although that doesn't really happen too much anymore because now everyone has tattoos. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. But you and, play- uh, according to Jewish law, none of them are going to get into heaven. So there is that. Mm-hmm. Is it? Well, I thought it was just not in the cemetery. What's that? I thought it was just not allowed in the cemetery. You know what? I don't know too much yeah. about religion, so it could be. Yeah, Jewish, ta- uh, ta- Jewish it's in the, it's cemeteries, in the Torah, right? Isn't it? Yeah, isn't it? 
Jewish cemeteries have that sign that says no tattoos, no shirt, no shoes, no service, mm. no loose women. Is that a bit or is that a real I don't thing? know. Okay. Uh, yeah, it says no dogs are Irish. Yeah. Uh, but, so, but you played in metal bands too, right? I did. I did. That was one of my many phases I went through trying to find in my desperate grasping attempt. Let's hear some <laughs> band names you were in. Um, shit. The one that we actually recorded some stuff was called Leadfoot. And L-E-D or? No, no, L-E-A-D. And then actually guys from the band Corrosion of Conformity later formed a oh, band called right, What was your something. style when you were in a metal band? Like heavy, like a heavy punk kind of sound. We, we were, yeah, but no, no, but what was your personal style? Like, you mean what did Sart- Joe DeVito, Sartorily? What did you look like when, oh, you know? There was a was mullet. Bad. Was it, was, there was it no definite so, TBT it, that you, a throwback Thursday. Was, was there, yeah. was there makeup involved? No, was, no, okay. no, no, no. It was, uh, I had long parted in the middle hair. Uh-huh, it yes. looked like a mullet because my hair was already starting to go up top. Uh-huh. And I had round John Lennon type glasses kind of like yours, but on a, a very fat face. He's looking at me, um, which I do have a fat face. So basically you look like me. You don't have a fat face. You just have an enormous cranium. It's like voluminous. It's It's got a lot of brain to hold in there, sir. Yeah, I know. You, yeah. You're a Mensa member. Like yeah. the, the Cro-Magnons. Yes, indeed. <laughs> they had smaller cranium cap. Cranium was cavities. it Neanderthals? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so let, we should give some context of who Joe is and how we know Joe. Should we? I, I think so. I think so. Probably. They, they've uh, already turned it off at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah most, hey, hey, we've got tens of listeners, so <laughs> <yeah>. don't. <laughs> no, Joe. No, we've we've got like a, we've got we've got pushing we're almost ten thousand downloads. You know, it's wow. not it's not too not too shabby. That's just our extended families. Just uh, yeah, my mom t- listened at least five thousand times. Yeah. Also, it's every time my mom's phone breaks, it just resubscribes to the podcast. <laughs> there you go. 10,000 downloads to the same device. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Just re-downloads it all the time. No, Joe Joe is an excellent stand-up comedian. He's been on The Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson. He's got a he's got an album out called First Date with Joe DeVito from a couple of years ago. How was The Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson? Because I, I love him. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, I did it twice, but when I was doing it, he it was kind of weird. He would finish the show and he would leave. And then the he would say hello to you and good luck on his way out. And the warm-up guy would then go out and introduce you, and they would tape it. And what they would do is later on, he would t- Craig Ferguson would tape a new introduction with that audience on the night it aired. That's great. That's and then bizarre. they would roll the tape. Yeah, in. and they would roll the yeah. tape, and it would look like you were there that night. Yeah. And toward the end, he stopped doing that because he would have comics come and, and sit on the couch with him. Uh, the second appearance I did, I did a Charlie Sheen joke right before he freaked out. And the whole time, all I could think was, don't die. Don't die, because mm. I need this set to air. <laughs> yeah. That, 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 the topical ones, I wonder, because don't they edit your set a little bit? Like, if you do you submit what jokes you're going to do? Oh, yeah, yeah. And it was interesting that there was one joke that they pulled uh, like an hour or two before the taping, which was frustrating. I had a joke where I said, um, talking about dating, and I said, we're the kind of guys who put the harm in eHarmony. Mm. And... And I had two callbacks. Was eHarmony like a sponsor or something like That's that? That's what they said. They said the legal department doesn't want you to say eHarmony. And I thought, oh, shit, I've got two jokes off that. And, but the funny part was they said the legal department wants to know if you can say match.com instead. They're like, that doesn't work uh, Yeah, all. and that's why they're the legal department because they don't understand how jokes yeah, work. But right. that's so often the case is that the people who have no clue are the ones making the creative choices yeah. for you. Um, how, how did you actually um, – how does one, just for the sake of argument, get mm-hmm. go from – um, you know, we got a lot of people that come on here that they're in the first couple of years of development with stand up. Uh-huh. So what was the process that took you to get uh from, you know, starting off to 
um, all the way to like actually getting on a, a, a TV show. And I realize that we haven't finished all of Joe DeVito's credentials, but I'm I'm, I'm just interested <laughs> in this line of yeah. Discussion. This is good. This is yeah. good. Yeah, I'm a working comic. That's all <laughs> they need to know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, for me, I'm 16 years at it now, and I know that. The path I followed for a lot of people maybe doesn't – some of those things don't exist anymore. There's different opportunities. But I started to get little gigs and I started to get known at the Long Island clubs. And the guy who's my manager now was asking them, hey, who do you have who can I can send out to do private gigs? And since I work clean and I knew how to conduct myself, he started to use me as like a freelancer. And then when he switched over to doing personal management – he made the offer to me and some other comics. So at the time, how much clean were you doing? Like how – what was your typical set, you know? Uh, probably a lot about my family, about Italian food, about my appearance. I think that's a common thing when you first start. You and it was like a like a, like a like a 15 minute set, 30 minute set. Like what were you doing at that time? Well, I've always liked to write. So I had a lot of material even then. The quality of it obviously was not that great, but I could get through it. You know, he could send me out to do 20 minutes. Right. Well, you're always trying to edit, right? You're trying to get rid. Yeah, you know, I mean, you cut you, out the, the the fat. Yeah, I, yeah. I tell the new comics, especially the very new ones, that don't don't worry about this material because a year from now you'll be mortified by most of those jokes mm-hmm. because you don't you get so much better. Mm. Um, so yeah, so I started to work with him, and then once he took me on as a client, then he put me in the pipeline to get Montreal, and I did the original live at Gotham on Comedy Central, and then I think I did my first late late show. 2008 so i was about seven years in so when did you actually start seeing things happening for you like like i mean obviously that's a really big milestone but like when did you start i mean was it really so gradual that it's hard to like or where did you go from like hey i'm just doing open mics and stuff to actually i have some traction here and i'm i'm booking regular shows and i'm doing Mm -hmm. that kind of thing i think once you get around the five-year mark something has to be happening You have to be working. Maybe uh, you you get into a good festival or something along those lines. I think what helped me is what hindered me in my career is that when I started, I had no clue about being a professional stand-up comic. I didn't start until I was in my 30s, and I just just thought it was going to be interesting. My coworkers forced me to do it. I never knew you could be a stand-up comic. It to me, it was like deciding to be an astronaut. Yeah. Was this like on like a like on the bet like on a bet kind of thing like initially or not not quite, but I was. Doing humor writing, and I was doing that on the side because I was writing advertising stuff, and uh-huh. I was bored. And just one day after work, telling stories to my coworkers about my family and my grandmother and all that. And they said, you have to try this, and they signed me up. And a, f- a coworker actually took the class with me to make sure I went because I was mm-hmm. so okay. uh, so f- afraid. So you took class, a class of some I time. took a class. It was two classes, and then, then your bringer graduation show. So I was having a heart attack while I was Which now stage. you actually teach classes, right? Like I do, the- yeah. Yeah, and what I I really enjoy the teaching, and what I like about it too is that a lot of classes are bullshit, and that I didn't want it to be like that. And something that's made me very happy was that two comics who took one of my classes after the first session, they said to me, "You know, we took a class somewhere else. We learned more today than we did in the eight weeks at that class." So, because mm. I, I don't want to, there's so much bad stuff out there for new comics. I I never wanted to do that. I wanted to make sure I got people in and encourage them and and really help them find out what kind of comic they are. Yeah. I took it. I loved it. I have a I have a notes document open on my phone right now with 
five uh, Devitoisms, I call them. <laughs> that yeah. sometimes when I'm working on a new piece, I rem- I read this thing to remind myself. I, I do simple, try to have yeah simple rules. What do you got in there? Uh, are we allowed to give this stuff away for free on the pod? I I, well, it, I'm probably going to be embarrassed by whatever nonsense I was spouting. But go well, ahead. Well, no, I mean, the 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 main ones are uh, write constantly, edit ruthlessly, get on stage every chance you can. Uh, the joke is this long, and then it's a long blank line. It needs to be this long, and then it's a short blank line. Uh, say the funny part last, then stop talking. Which, by the way, all these things don't sound revelatory when yeah. you hear them. Everyone you, chuckles with that last one, yeah. but it's usually what the problem is with a joke. Uh, be precise, concise, specific, uh, and then surprise and recognition make audiences laugh. The best jokes balance both. Uh <clears throat> I'm sorry, guys. I keep clearing my throat. That's all right. It's going to uh, be a, that kind of podcast. These thi- these things are <coughs> are just like simple. Yeah, that's the sixth one. It's uh, <laughs> check your throat for mucus at all times. Uh, yeah, these things like it's it's just so because I think stand ups are people that think that I need to fill the space, I need to yeah. talk more, I need to spell out my ideas more, but I think the thing that you always remind me is it's about clarity and simplicity and yeah, uh, yeah. now th- if someone listening to this who's not a comic might think, well, this doesn't sound very fun, but when you're learning how to be a stand up comic, if I could use the analogy of you're learning a language. Yeah. And that's why when you start to learn Spanish, they start you off with where is the library? Where is the bathroom? Not because they think you're you're constantly going to the bathroom in libraries. It's you need to learn the basics of the language. Yeah. And then you go from I mean, that. I will say the library has a great bathroom. It's yeah, usually so, a better place. Honestly, than, it's quiet. It's way better than Starbucks because you don't have the homeless. No lines. Showering in a there. A lot to read. Yes. Mm-hmm. A lot to read. Yes. I like the microfiche. <laughs> Hold it up to the light. I love you. You're like on the shitter in the library with microfiche. <laughs> <laughs> Do they even have that anymore? No, they don't have anything. It's just computers. I yeah. mean, you know, that's that's one of those things that makes me feel old. Like I remember in the yeah. day with microfiche. Yeah. I do remember that. The, the Dewey Decimal System. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we 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 have a lot of fun in the classes because when you first start, there's so much you don't know that you don't even know what you don't know. And when I began in the early 2000s, I had to read books. There wasn't even that much stuff online, and I think a good class – you know, I tell people if you're, if you're not funny, no one can make you funny if you don't get it. But a good class can save you a lot of time. Did you read Judy Carter's mm. comedy Bible book? That's one I could never – that was not the right book for me. You know, it's funny because like I went through it like – I don't know, this not this summer. I think maybe last mm. summer or something like that. And um, I, 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 I did find it interesting. It's so dated at this point. Like it's yeah. so incredibly dated. But – um, there's just there's certain parts that you can take of it that I found that were like interesting, but I was like, I wish that there was like an updated version of this, yeah. you know, like some kind of like great reference for. Now that's part of the problem with comedies; it's something that's constantly changing. So, mm. what's what's relevant today is going to be dated tomorrow, and it's like, how do you write a book like that that can like stay relevant, um, unless it's just like in a total digital format that's updated constantly? Yeah, I think either that or you have to talk just about jokes. Because most of those books had long chapters on sending a headshot, sending a videotape. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah but I mean, I, I ignored a lot of that portion yeah. of it because it was like uh, that's not even relevant at mm-hmm. this point. But even the jokes were like, oh, you have to have an act out. Like you, you yeah, you, like, the joke has to have an act out at some point. Like that was like a huge part of it. Um, 
And that's I just don't think the act out is really as popular of a I mean, I don't think it's completely there's still plenty of comedians that have an act act out yeah. throughout their set, but I think I don't think that has to be every single joke. Yeah. yeah. I remember asking Joe, uh I remember asking you after uh, I think I was assisting a class or something, maybe it was during my the class I took with you. I was reading I was working through that book also and uh so many so much of my material is me talking about me, which uh mm. sometimes is great but sometimes i'm i really get sick of myself but one of her thesis statements is you never a premise should never be i think this or i am i did this or whatever and i remember getting really hung up on that and then i mentioned it to you and you're like ah, that book's kind of outdated so (laughs) it was such a relief to know know what i took away from this no one way and please correct me if you don't Mm -hmm. agree with this joe but like I took from that that um, I you know yes everything's coming from a personal place, mm-hmm. but if the the heart of the joke is about you and not about the human condition, then yeah. people aren't going to be interested because people don't care about you necessarily. Like they care about things that about you that they can relate to. Yeah, but the interesting thing with that is I found the more personal you get, the better the connection will be. Because when I first started, I thought you told jokes about stuff. Yeah. And what's well, the deal with airline food? <laughs> well, yeah, you know, the observational stuff. And I think that's why a lot of really good observational comics in their time, it hasn't aged particularly well. Uh, but that's why Pryor was so great because no one had his experiences, but you could relate to the emotion of it. You know, I, I saw uh, pa- Paul Reiser at um, mm. the Comedy Cellar, and it was very interesting because, you know, th- there's just most of the comedians at the Comedy Cellar just destroy, destroy. They yeah. all destroy. But Paul got up there and, you know, God bless him, he did the best that he could. But it's clear that he hadn't updated his material mm. since he was kind of doing comedy as a regular thing. So it was kind of – it was it had a very 90s vibe to it. Yeah. And it was not playing well. And the thing is, is it wasn't like he didn't perform – he performed it very well. And mm. he, you know, he could tell that he had spent a lot of time on his craft and, um, you know, he was very comfortable up there. But like a lot of his stuff was not – landing even remotely well and um you could really feel that at the comedy cellar which is typically um you know everybody kills up there and he was just kind of it was quiet you know Mm. and um it was just really interesting to see you know how these jokes that he were doing that just kind of they had a very dated feel and i can't even put my finger on it what was it about the particular jokes that he had like off the top of my head that like made them not work but it, it just felt it felt like uh, you could see too much of the fourth wall or you like you yeah. weren't immersed enough in what he was saying. It just felt very much like, oh, he's telling us jokes right now. Mm. Yeah, that's – you have to be careful that you don't – we used to call that doing comedy at people mm. where you're just sort of pushing material. Um, I found that's something I've struggled with because I love jokes yeah. and for so long I was unwilling and, un- and afraid to talk about myself to be honest. Um, and not not just on stage, but in my personal life, there was a lot of things about myself that I was not comfortable revealing or, or being open about. And there's a tension between that. And I feel that now at this point in my act from the creative side, I'll have moments where I'm making that deep connection, where I'm being honest, where I'm, I'm being uh, vulnerable. And then if I go back to an older joke, it's a little bit of the gears are grinding. Mm. And, and that's mm-hmm. that's part of the growing pains you have when you've been doing it for a while. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I I do know exactly what you're talking about, doing comedy at people. I got caught doing that the other night. I was it was I was hosting a show. I, they said do ten minutes up front, and then bring up the mm. feature, and then bring up the headliner. 
And uh, I had a ton of family and friends there because it was in my yeah. hometown. And the producer actually opened the show, said a couple jokes. He's a funny guy. And they said, are you ready for your host? And he brought brought me up. And I felt like, oh, I can just go into material. I don't, I'm not going to crowd work people I know. Yeah. And I'd like to do a set. I want to do a 10-minute set and go for it. And uh, I just, yeah, like halfway through, I realized I'm not here right now. These yeah. jokes are sort of performing themselves. And, uh, and I got really in my head about like, these people know that the, the, I altered the facts of this ex-girlfriend. They, you know, I'm revealing too much about my personal life in front of my family. I just made a pubic hair joke about my wife in front of my dad. Like, so in my head. And I'm like, I, I just realized I wasn't there. Yeah, you know? it's hard to... I was talking to another comic about this, and he said the challenge is to remain present. Mm. And I understand what you're saying, because when you first start... You do your shows and your friends and family come out, and that's pretty cool. And then after a while, they're the last people you want to see. Yeah, yeah. Because I know when I'm in another, you know, when I'm on the road and I go on stage at a brand new club, I'm very rarely nervous, and I figured out because they don't know me at all. Yeah. So to them, I am whoever I tell them I am. Yeah. And I kind of introduce myself and create my story as they listen to me. And I noticed it when I, I used to do a lot of shows with a friend of mine, Helen Hong, and when we would go out on the road, I realized that when she talked about being Korean in a mostly uh, white suburban show, she could tell them anything was Korean mm. and they would believe her because she was the authority on it. Mm -hmm. And she could make up anything and say, but the Koreans, we do this. And, and people would have thought, OK, and they would have gone along with it. So it made me realize that that's what you do when you go up there you you tell them who you are and that's one of the best parts about stand up is that but if you do it in front of your family they'd be like that's not yeah, what we do exactly. yeah yeah or even i have this thing with my my parents where i i come home one day and there's a message on my answer machine the only reason i have a landline with an answering machine is for my parents <laughs> and my dad is complaining that i said motherfucker on my blog and he didn't think that that was appropriate to do that and i thought all right i'm going to let this slide and then when i called them for father's day they had like a phone intervention because they thought a joke that I posted meant I was going to kill my ex. <laughs> and they're going through this. And I thought, still going through this shit as a man who's <laughs> almost 50 trying to explain to my parents. See, I would have is... just antagonized my dad. I'd be like, what's up, my motherfucker? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I wanted – I was thinking, should I post something that's just motherfucker yeah. over and over yeah. again? Yeah, because I, you know, I even had to say to him, like, you're where I teach writing. Yeah. That if yeah. I pick a word, it's probably – I have a reason – but, you know, it, it just goes to show that they are the people who gave birth to me and raised me, and they see me in a way that I don't even see myself. Yeah, and they know, they know you on this other level. Like, yeah. I, I, I also I was processing this uh, at therapy, actually, today, and I said to her, I was like, I couldn't put on that. You know when you kind of put on a little swagger and yeah. you, have to, you have to be confident, you have to own the space and be the alpha on stage, all that shit which i i don't i'm not like a big tough guy or whatever in my act but you need a certain level of that since you're a comedian and i it felt like it felt cuz it's always fake but it felt very fake in yeah. that environment and i just was so in my head about it it's uh it's really challenging yeah but, it's tough and you it's sometimes it'll come at you out of nowhere yeah there have been times where i've been on stage and just thought how am I doing up here? Yeah. Like, who, who is this person? And then there have been other times where I call it liftoff, achieving liftoff, where mm. 
there's there's one of my favorite clubs in the whole country is Ann Arbor Comedy Showcase. Mm-hmm. Something about their audience is that I get so excited when I go there because I know I'm going to have a bunch of good shows and I'm going to come home with something new. That's mm-hmm. the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. And when it when it's at that moment where I'm in that state of flow, it feels like the thoughts are coming directly from my head into theirs. There's no intermediary. Yeah. And to compare it again to music, when I played guitar, I was never particularly skilled, but I was a good arranger and I could sound better than I was. But for me to play something on the guitar, the thought had to go from my head, down my arm, mm-hmm. to my hand, onto the string, plot it out. When you listen to someone like Stevie Ray Vaughan or Hendrix, you know, they're just a conduit yeah. to music. It's yeah. just pouring out of them. And I even listened to an interview with Stevie Ray and he said, he said, yeah, when I start to think, things don't go too well. Yes. Yep. So well, let me ask you, um, speaking of that, that state, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in having done this for as long as you have now, um, how often would you say you, uh, you know, you, you eat shit versus like have like a, an amazing transcendent moment like that? Like, where do you, huh. what's the kind of break on that after you've been, you know, doing it for as long as you have? Well, I guess because I'm not a New York City comic where they're constantly doing those short sets and constantly preparing stuff for late nights and all that. That's much riskier. Um, I certainly get more concerned about that when I'm performing in Manhattan. But when I'm on the road, I have almost no fear of that stuff. Uh, As far as the big moments go, they're getting more and more frequent because I'm getting more comfortable trying to do this new thing. It's... um, it's not an easy thing to do, especially – this is why guys become road hacks because they find something that works, and it always hits at a certain level. Let's say every joke hits like an 8 or 9 out of a 10. Well, a new joke is only going to come in around a 5 maybe, and because if they're – If you're lucky. If you're lucky, yeah, it may come in as a 0, yeah. and they can't – their ego can't handle that, mm. that everything else is at this level. And this new one comes in so low, I, so I they mean, just never write. But you're it's not like, like I've got like a treasure trove of like amazing bomb-ass jokes, but – I have like a set or two that I know like solidly works and it is really tough. It yeah. is really, it's like, feels like almost like starting from zero mm. to have like a new, a set of totally new stuff that like hits and doesn't hit. And if it does hit, it hits, doesn't hit as much as hard as you know, things can hit. Yeah. Um, like to try to do it like a set. I mean, w- when you're first starting off, like to get laughs at all. Cause you have no, you're, you're right. all over the place. Right. So mm-hmm. if you have like consistent laughs throughout your set, mm-hmm. even if they're not big laughs, they're just laughs at all. Yeah. It's like, I just killed this here. Yeah. But then you get to a certain place where you realize those laughs are like the, the starter laughs. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like you really want the like the explosive laughs. And those are, those take a lot of work to get to. Yeah. And it is really humbling when you, when you kind of, oh, I'm going to do a different set of things. And then you get, much, oh, yeah. You know, much reduced volume, so to speak. Well, because you, you realize at the beginning, it's not that you start off telling jokes that on a scale of one to ten or maybe twos, or they, they don't even make sense. So they're not even really jokes yet. You're just sort of, again, learning this language and you're just babbling and mm-hmm. saying nonsense words. And then you realize how to put a sentence together and then maybe that. That's why, again, to use a language analogy, they don't start you off learning how to write poetry. Right. don't have the depth of understanding yet. And I think that's why when a lot of us look back at our early sets, you'll hear a joke that maybe did well then, and you'll think, oh, I know how to say that same joke in three words now instead mm-hmm. of 15. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or three paragraphs. <laughs> like, Yeah, yeah. Um, 
so you, what you're talking about, you're talking a little bit about this uh, evolution in your personal comedy. Yeah. Uh, you've been blogging all year. Uh, it yeah, seems I've like been, a year. Uh, 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 no, it's not the, quite that long. I'd say, well, I know what it was tied to, so it was uh, April? But yeah, yeah. So it's it's pretty new because like yeah. when I met you, I I I immediately got I. So I took uh, I'll put it this way: I took a workshop with Jeff Lawrence, uh, which was great, and we all many of us know Jeff. He's a very passionate person. He he's all about talking about yourself and getting deep and getting really honest and raw. Uh, he does get a little technical, and mm. and I learned a lot of technical things from him. But for for me, my experience with just getting to know Jeff is it's it's about personality and experience and uh character and all yeah. that kind of stuff and then i met you and it very it very much felt like okay let's open the hood of the car and see what <laughs> yeah. makes makes this thing work like what are the where, where are the buttons what is the wiring uh what are the shortcuts uh etc um and now having known you for a couple of years uh it's interesting to see you kind of like kind of go the other way and get very touchy-feely for lack yeah. of a better word um uh, what's that been like for you? Like, is that something you're aware is happening in your own career? Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that I just did a writing session with someone before I came here who is an engineer. He just took one of my classes and he said, as soon as he saw the way I broke things down, he said, now I get it. Mm. That's his mindset. Um, yeah, it's, I feel like I've gotten to a point where I know how to write jokes. I know how to deliver jokes. I've learned that skill set. Now the question is, what do I have to say? Mm -hmm. And that is, that's a big question. And, uh, well, Patrick knows. I went through a, a, a very uh, painful breakup at the beginning of this year, or, or I guess around April. And and for our, our audience, this is uh, August. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you, you know, who knows when, when, put when this, this fucking thing yeah, out. Yeah, when this comes out in 2018. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure I'll still be bitching yeah. about late, it. Yeah. Late Whining. August. Late August. I'll be, yeah, this will be posted and I'll be like Miss Havisham with the spider web cake still talking about. I remember the things. So it, it made me evaluate a lot of things in my life. And there was actually one night where I was on stage in Long Island. You know, we talk about this this thing of authenticity. And I went up, and I started with some of my usual jokes, and the crowd was kind of tepid. And I just stopped and said to them, uh, all right, here's what happened. I just got my heart broken, and I'm in a great deal of pain, and we're going to talk about it. And Did you sit on the stool? I did not sit down. <laughs> I, I did sit down at one point. Uh, yeah, like with my bow tie loosened <laughs> up like I'm Frank Sinatra. Uh, but I don't like sitting down, you know, I yeah. have all my weird rules, leaning against the wall and flipping the mic cord, <laughs> mm. my autistic things that I have problems with. But uh, it was it was a transformational set for me because I was glad that I felt so different. And at the end of the night, there were guys like Neil Rubenstein and Mike Calcagno who've seen me dozens of times who came up to me and said, we don't know what you're going through, but that's the best set we've ever seen you mm. had. And Neil – and that was validating because I knew how it felt so different on stage, and it was good to hear that it wasn't just a feeling I had. And Neil said, I would say something so bleak that the audience would kind of think, geez, what's going to happen here? And then I would talk him through it, and it would build up to a huge laugh, and then I would say, and like, bang, right down to the bottom yeah. again, and took them through that. And, you know, I'll tell you, it was a set where I came off stage and had to make a beeline to the parking lot because I was I was upset. I was crying. Yeah. Uh, but the people came up to me afterward, you know, when I came back and once I got my, my composure, um, 
the connection you make, there's nothing like it. They yeah. Come up well, and, like, and the fact that Neil Rubenstein gave you a or Steen uh, <laughs> gave you props because our listeners uh, know we, we did a podcast with him. Yeah. He's a very he's a he's a critical guy. He's a tough, yeah, he's, yeah, a t- yeah, he's a tough he's, audience. He's a, he's a tough, tough critic. Tough yeah. Yeah. Neil's called tough bullshit on me plenty of times. Where yeah, he's yeah. like, "Yeah, you don't really need to talk about that anymore." And I'm like, "Okay, you know, I'll I'll trust his opinion because he's he's certainly seen me enough times and he knows what I'm trying to do." Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to ask real quick. This is um, because uh, I want to get back to this, but I, mm-hmm. I in terms of like the evolution of of comedy, um, and the like the different phases that you go through. Um, I don't know if you kind of experienced this, but like. And, and even if you did, you might not remember it because it's been a while. But you know, there there's a there's a thing that I've noticed that you go through where you start off when you start off, you're kind of all instinct, right? Like when you start doing yeah. comedy, it's a lot of instinct because I like all of us have like a certain level of sense of humor. Like some of us are better than others with their sense of humor, and you know, part of what like gets you going initially with stand up is you just have this instinct for like what's funny or not, right? But you don't necessarily know how to like. Uh, specifically craft it so you spend a lot of time maybe on stage just saying things that pop up and then some things stick and some things don't and the things that stick you you try to turn them into jokes and then over time you learn the craft better of like how to do write better right but i think there is like a phase at least that i've experienced where your level of knowledge about writing jokes gets to a point where it almost supersedes your instinct and you almost like lose your instinct momentarily because you're in this phase of like really specifically writing. It's it's almost like uh, being aware of your breath or like you yeah. know something like that. And um, and it's it's a hard for me. It's been a hard like I don't think I'm still even through it. It's like a hard transition mm. to get to like try to um, get the benefit of your instinct while you know while being a um, you know a, a writing things in a specific way. Yeah. So, you know, for you, you're saying that like the whole write the whole writing of the jokes thing is something that's kind of almost like 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 you've done it so much it's almost inconsequential. Well, you know? well like, I think what you call an instinct the the more you do this, the better your gut becomes. So there's stuff that I go over in the classes that some of the people would say, Oh, so you do this every time? And I tell them, no, I, I don't need to most of the time because I, my mind already thinks that way. But there are times where I will sit down and make a list of words and, and, and things like that. But this is what makes it so interesting. When you first start, let's operate under the assumption that you are a funny person mm-hmm. and not one of these crazy people who gets into it. You, Which can also be interesting. Yeah. yeah. So you've made people laugh. People mm-hmm. have acknowledged that you are funny. But you don't really know how you're doing it. You just do it. So – you think, well, I'll just go on stage and be that funny person, and that almost never works. And we would, we've all seen that at the amateur shows. Everyone's yeah. looking at their notes, and the one guy is like, "I don't know what you guys are all nervous about. I'm just going to wing it." And it's a bloodbath every time. So you start off relaxed, natural, being funny. You go on stage, and you have to go through a period of stiffness and awkwardness. And then, if you break through that, then you become the naturally funny person you are. Mm. But you have to go through that weird, stiff, awkward part. Now, as far as the jokes, all I can say is that I've noticed a trend on Twitter that there are these accounts that have these Twitter jokes that when you read them, they sound like jokes. Mm -hmm. They use a tone and an arch kind of delivery and 
a language that sounds like a Twitter joke. But they're not really funny. They're not funny. Yeah. It's almost like the invasion of the body snatchers mm-hmm. that they've been written by an alien who doesn't quite get the magical part or, of the Or joke. it's all snark and attitude with no real joke in there. Yeah, you know, and then people use these cliches and it's the one I saw the other day that I'm so sick of. Oh, the one where they talk about something and they say, they said blank would be, they said do this, they said it would be fun, and that's the new the new meme language and that's for people who you know i put them in the same category as people who hear my name and immediately have to say are you related to danny devito Mm. and when they say that i know this person does not have many thoughts (laughs) (laughs) not a person who thinks (laughs) but what they do think they think about danny it's well maybe they ask everybody wouldn't that be weird if that was the first question they asked everybody are you tom jones are you related to danny devito Just on a quest to find yeah. relatives of Danny DeVito. And what if that was the signifier that we knew that they were one of the aliens? It's like a secret handshake, <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, well, yeah, so so you're cracking open now. Like, So 16 yeah. years in, you're like cracking open to this next level. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like when you were doing that emotional set, was that something that, like how much of it was written, how much was it off the cuff? It was all kind of off the cuff? Or? No, what was interesting about it was that it was a combination of crowd work, um, new stuff off the cuff and leading into established bits. And that was one of the things that uh, I, I was talking about depression. I mean, it's it's so funny to talk about this because you listen and I, I don't, I wouldn't hold against anyone if they hear this and think this sounds like the most miserable evening for people <laughs> in the audience that I'm up there practically slashing my wrist. But I, I talked about depression stuff and I have this thing I've been doing where I'll look at someone in the audience and point to them and announce what antidepressant they're on. And my hit rate is like 80%. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if it's because everyone is on Lexapro, but so this one woman, I said, I pointed her and said, you're taking Lexapro, aren't you? And she said, yeah, and a bunch of other things too. And that's when I pulled the chair up and we started talking. Mm-hmm. And I said, what do you take it for? And she said, bipolar disorder. And Neil told me as soon as she said that, he and Mike looked at each other and they said, this is leading right into his bipolar mm-hmm. joke. Mm-hmm. And I did my bipolar joke. And I don't feel like it was dishonest to do that because that no. was my natural reaction to what she said. Mm-hmm. An interesting thing about that interaction was that afterward, the the club manager said that when I was having that conversation with the woman – the MC leaned over to him and said, as a joke, does Joe realize we can all hear what they're saying? Because it was that intimate a conversation, yeah. but still laughing. And that's that's another thing I've learned with this. I've learned that vulnerability, I used to think, was weakness. But yeah. it's actually the power move because it shows like, hey, he, here I am. Yeah. And, and, uh, it's, it's so much more interesting. I mean, yeah. Look, yeah. I mean, and when we watch TV or movies or whatever, like – at, at the end of the day, the thing that connects us to it is if there's a real story and like a, a personal connection, we can yeah. identify with what's going on that person. I think a lot of times, especially in comedy, um, especially if you're somebody that's doing open mics and everything yeah. all the time, you get a lot of people that come up there and they just do kind of disjointed dick jokes or, yeah. and it just doesn't feel very real or very connected or it feels very, very scripted. And when you, when you have somebody that's talking about something in a very personal way, I mean, that's, uh, you know that's, ex- that's exciting and it's different. It's kind of yeah. it's kind of interesting because you hear you hear people say like, "Oh, comedy clubs, you go. That's where you go to hear people talk about anything. That's where you hear the real deal and really what when they're talking like that, they're talking about sex jokes and 
hearing white guys say the n-word or you know they it's just it's so not interesting yeah and what you're describing is the real deal like that is what comedy is 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 a way to connect people and and have these special moments and that sounds that sounds like transcendent in a way like a very special special version of the best but you you do the road a lot yeah do you think that that set would have worked on the road um it depends in a comedy club probably um but for example, this weekend I'm working at these couples resorts in the Poconos where people are on vacation. We're all in heart-shaped tubs. They just want upbeat shit. Yeah, they yeah. don't want to think too – and I don't fault them for that. I don't – there's some comics would be like, fuck these people. I don't – you know. It's I don't, entertainment. It's entertainment. But having said that, I did a show last month at one of those places where the room was a little weird and the people were kind of drunk. And there was a woman sitting right up front who was a little tipsy but – she wasn't heckling, but she seemed to be genuinely concerned about what I was saying. It's mm-hmm. that weird person who's interacting. And she said, you're too hard on yourself. Ugh. And then it got to the point where I invited her on stage to sit next to me and be my co-host for a couple of jokes. <laughs> and it actually broke me out of my usual set at that place. And it made me – because I had to acknowledge her and then yeah. tease her a little bit, but then talk about – all right. Well, here's where I'm at my life. What do you have That's to say really about that? That's really dangerous, though, giving her that you, giving her that focus. Uh, yeah, well, I I wouldn't recommend it. I didn't <laughs> hand her the microphone, though. You never give right, up the magic never, microphone. Yeah. But you know what's crazy is after the show, I sat down and was talking to her, and I know this makes me sound like I'm so unstable, but I, I'm, I said to her, "Yeah, this is all real what I'm going through," and she said, "Yeah, I could tell," and she asked me about the woman and again i started getting choked up but but patrick knows i'm finally at the point where i'm under a little bit more control but at what point did you and that lady start kissing though (laughs) yeah Yeah. you know what i found is that this kind of vulnerability is that women 35 and older are like oh yeah and women under are like fuck out of here where's your motorcycle (laughs) like they don't want to hear about that shit but patrick saw me one night at climate where it was right after when i was talking to him and i was in a pretty bad place and then I felt bad for that poor comic Mia because Patrick and I are talking shop and because I've been around and I'm nice to people that the other comics kind of sat down to kind of listen to what we were talking about. And I don't even remember what it was, but I totally did like this comic Mia is, I don't think she's 20 years old. She's she's very young. She's like 20 almost just. And I was trying to tell them how, I don't know, kind of listen to your spirit animal bullshit i was saying but i actually reached over and did like a grabbing of the arm of her like don't ever let people tell you and and even as i was doing it i was like this she must think i'm a crazy old man but i from what patrick told me was that it was taken in the spirit in which yes and look man like this business is so full of so many fucking scumbags (laughs) and so much so many so much manipulation and so much like really funky stuff that it, it was you were you were saying a true thing to yeah. a person who who knows if she needs to hear it but maybe one day she it will be a thing or maybe it'll be something she'll hear again one day and it'll like whatever i yeah. you said spirit animal bullshit <laughs> i fucking live off that shit i love that shit mm-hmm. and it would it meant a lot to me to hear you be real what's your spirit her. animal patrick uh actual animal uh, actually in in the program people i talk a lot about going to yeah. meetings and stuff you're supposed to have a higher power, and I joke that my higher power is a golden retriever with the personality of Michael Keaton. Okay. So, uh, yeah. so a golden retriever that could play the most amazing Batman. Yeah. But the truth is, I forget exactly what you said to Mia, mm. but what I got from it was like, oh, yeah, it was, it was, if, if, 
you should love you should you should give in to loving another person. Yeah, I think it was what, it was what I was working on at the time was a concept my shrink gave me of loving in the face of loss. Yeah. And that you have to acknowledge that everything you've ever done, everyone you've ever known, everyone you've ever cared about, all these things all going to be gone someday. Mm-hmm. So you can't let that stop you from opening up. You you can't let that hold you back. Yeah. And I think that's a very important thing for comics because when you that honesty and stuff like that that's where it's at. Cuz you talked about what you hear comics talk about on stage and I've seen it you see a guy goes up and he's kind of sloppy and he's talking about porn and jerking off and they think they're being so transgressive and Afterwards, I'll say to them, "Look, yeah, 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 all that stuff. How are, how's your relationship with your dad? Yeah, like, tell me about that. Yeah, yeah, that's the that's the real they're, shit. They're actually playing it safe by talking about of like course. whatever freaky porn shit they're into. That's yeah. that's yeah, hiding yeah. behind that. You know, I I've I've kind of struggle like this this uh, place between both of those things where I try to be honest, but my level of honesty, I'm a cynical, yeah. negative person. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, that's just." My mother is a very cynical, neurotic person. I was raised that way. Mm. That's just how it is. And I try not to be that way, but I am. You know, like it's not helpful necessarily to mm-hmm. live life in a pessimistic way, but that's just where my mind goes. Well, you'll never be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that's part of it. That's yeah. why you it's have defense, that mindset. defense mechanism. Right. You don't want to be disappointed. So um, that comes out a lot in my comedy, but I found it to be a real problem, especially recently where, um, you know, I, I get real negative up there. Yeah. And it's always in the it's always in the sake of comedy, and sometimes the negativity really works. Like especially if I'm in a room of comedians and they're all kind of cynical, negative people too. But that's the worst. It Never is. But sometimes your audience. But sometimes, mm. sometimes uh, <laughs> it it just really doesn't. Yeah. And then, uh, but it's been a, it's been tough for me because I'm I'm experiencing that negative side of like quote unquote. I don't even know if it's showbiz because it's like I wouldn't consider myself at a at a level where. You know, maybe maybe slightly with it, like doing some clubs and you get some bullshit happening with that. You could yeah. cite that as like showbiz stuff, but like, like I've experienced people um, like complaining, like because they don't like that I'm being negative on stage, and um, uh, and it's like uh, it's like, well, I I don't know, I don't know how to I don't know how to reconcile that because I yeah. I do think ultimately, like, yeah, you want to do it with joy, even if you're being negative. If you do it with joy, people can take it in that context. Mm. But it's possible to fuck it up sometimes and like not do it do it in the right way. Um, I don't know what would you what would you say uh, to that, or do you have advice, or like what would you? I I think this might be only advice for me. Like there might be like no other comedians <laughs> out there that necessarily. Have. No, 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 no. I don't think so. That at all. <laughs> the thing that comes to mind for me is like just think of whoever the most negative comics that are successful are and recognize that. You, they might be very, very negative, but they're being very, very funny while doing it. Yeah, yeah. I think funny always cancels out. You yeah. might need to add a little sugar to help <laughs> it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, for that black coffee. Yeah, yeah. It, it, and I've noticed that even uh, when I started to talk about what I was going through, that two breakup jokes in a row they were cool with, and three mm. was a little too much. Mm-hmm. So you you have to find a way to temper it. Um, now, there's two things at play here. One is as an artist, unrestricted. As a professional, some restrictions. You have to find the balance between the two. Uh, I've always found it interesting that you have comics who go up and say, I have an uncompromising vision of my stand-up. I tell it like it is. Nobody tells me what to... Okay, fine. And then the next thing they say is, but why won't this club book me? Mm. It's because you don't have anything they want. Mm. So if you want to be an artiste, 
Go for it. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I wish you the best of luck. Maybe you'll stumble into some really interesting new territory. But you can't do that and complain that no one else is subsidizing it. Mm. I, I do agree with that, mm. but I, I'm yeah. also concerned about what I see. And maybe this is just the circles that I'm seeing. Yeah. But like where there's just so many comics that are so derivative of each other. Yeah. Because this is what the clubs want, so this is the style. I've had I've I've had friends that they have a very unique voice, and it's a funny voice, and they they need to develop it further, but they're afraid to, or they're trying to like push against it because they're like, this is not how everybody else is doing it. And it's like, well, what you're doing is actually more interesting, you know. Yeah. But, but it's it's the the culture of comedy right now is not, I think, conducive to those really different, off the cuff kind of strange acts. And I I really enjoy some of those people. I mean, if if it's mm. funny, right? Like, you can you don't have to be set up punchline, set up punchline, set no. up punchline to be funny. But I think there's a very big um, there's a very big pressure to do that. Well, to be that kind of comedian. One of the things I tell the classes is that I'm not there to write jokes for them. There are some comedy classes that do that. There are some comedy classes that just want you to – they just want to get you through your graduation show, and I don't, I don't subscribe to that. I tell them there's, there's so many different ways to be funny. Uh, Maria Bamford, unbelievable, mm. one of my favorites. Andy Kindler, one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Brian Regan, all so different. So all of that is open, but here's the reality. If you're not getting laughs on a regular basis, you may not be doing stand-up comedy. Mm-hmm. You may be doing some other worthwhile form of performing. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you go up there and, and – that's an interesting thing. There was someone who took one of the recent classes, this guy, uh, Mort, Morton, the Danish anthropologist. You guys oh, may yeah, have seen yeah, him come Yeah, through. he's yeah. coming to the mics. Yeah. yeah, and he is was in New York on a grant from a university to study stand-up. And it's so it's interesting. Amazing. Yeah, his take on stuff from the that – outside perspective was very interesting and he said he noticed going to the mics he said the millennials go up and they're completely open about talking about themselves but there's just not funny he said they don't have the funny part so it's gone too far in the other direction where instead of being a detached 80s style against the brick wall joke teller now they're just blatherers Mm. and it shows i think it's something about our society now where every moment is shared in a way as if it's an epic event. It's a self-absorption. Thing. Yeah, yeah, but you still you have to be getting those laughs every couple of seconds. Yeah. Or like I said, you you might not be doing stand-up, or you're definitely not doing it well. Well, well I mean, speaking of this real talk you're giving about, like you've got you might not be doing stand-up. It's good yeah. to hear a, a, a working professional comic talk like that. And you also mentioned this: if at five years something's not happening, yeah, like. What do you think about because Tristan and I are still stuck in open mics quite a bit, so we mm-hmm. we have to sit through lots and lots of people who I, I don't know if it's for me to say yeah. maybe they should call it quits, but is there a point in time that a person should just that's so personal and tough, right? Like yeah, like that you know because like I mean everybody has a right to perform at an open I, mic. Yeah, I've guess. seen people who stink out loud for like two years and then there's something clicks with them and then all of a yeah. sudden they're 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 they get yeah. real good. It's it's pos- I mean I certainly wouldn't tell anyone if you enjoy it, stop doing it. Right. Um, I don't want to watch it, but yeah. I wouldn't tell them – well, I shouldn't say that because I used to have a joke with a, a, fr- a comic friend of mine and we called it, don't they have a friend? Yeah. Which by that we meant, doesn't this person have a friend who's going to say to them, mm. just you know, try horseback riding? Mm-hmm. Like, this isn't – because it's not for everyone, but that's okay. Yeah, that's yeah. fine. It's a very odd discipline. Yeah. I think it's tough though because let, let's, say, let's say you say, hey, you know, 
some th- this is not stand up. Yeah. I, I think all right. So I think a good kind of intermediate, like in the middle, kind of like you could argue either point, mm. is uh, a comic that uh, that Patrick and I both love, Raleigh Moe. Mm-hmm. And I think he's great. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been doing it for a very long time, but he has a very different style. Like yeah. he, it's mm-hmm. very almost. I would say Maria Bamford is a good. Like there's a lot of characters and yeah. voices, right? And but even for him, sometimes the, the the voices don't even correlate into like some kind of consistent narrative. It's mm-hmm. it's very much like it's data. Yeah, you know, like he has one where he's just like has a a little toy plane, and this is one of my favorites. He's a toy plane and toy sheep. And he's like, oh, no. <laughs> he just does like that. Like, and it's so, it's so weird and different. But it's, if he gets the right room, yeah. like he crushes it. Yeah. But it, but if it's just a room of people that are like, I just want the same old comedy, they're like, yeah. what the fuck? Why is this guy here? And, um, and I hate that attitude of like, you know, I think everybody belongs and doing, and I, like I said, I, I, lo- I think he's great. But you, somebody could argue that what he's doing is maybe not even necessarily stand up. Yeah. Um, but then it's like, if it's not like, where where does that where does that kind of comedy belong? Because yeah, um, it's not it's not sketch. It's not it's not uh, it's not improv. It's not you know yeah. like where you know where do you fit that? You know that's t- you know that's that's the thing that I think that's tough. It's like if if you actually want to make a career of comedy and yeah. you want to do that by performing in front of an audience, you want to have a mic and you want to be the sole focus of that. I mean. Stand up kind of is, is kind of where it's at, right? Like I don't know. Well, I think uh, I think we're gonna have a bubble bursting soon. Mm. I think this current boom. I wasn't around for the first boom, but I think this one the bubble's gonna pop because what the business side of stand up is really trying to push is getting farther and farther away from what people who want to go laugh at it are interested in. So. I think your friend, there's always going to be a place for that, and that's good. You need – I'll put it to you this way. I I saw in a used DVD place, it was Best of Evening at the Improv for mm-hmm. a couple of bucks. I said, what the hell? I'll watch this. And it was – it's one of those things where you think, how 80s is this? And mm-hmm. you look, and it's from 1993 because there's always yeah. – fashions always bleed a couple yeah. of years into the yeah. next decade. And I watched, and it just was so painful. Everyone mm. was everyone was that comic you make fun of. They were corny. They had the blazer sleeves rolled up. Yeah. And, and then I watched that and I said, now I know why alternative comedy had to happen because this was had become a calcified, mainstream, bland, uh, predictable. Templated, product. yeah. Yeah, so they go through phases, but that happens. I think we're going to see a reaction now to just getting back to funny. And yeah. the person doesn't have to be a particular color or demographic. They just have to be funny. And I've noticed that I went to um, – I stopped in at a mic. This is probably two years ago now, but at the Three of Cups, and of course, it's so strange for me because I'm just I'm always I'm older than everybody, so I already yeah. have that distance. But I watched everyone go up, and I thought I don't understand what's going on here, because no one was laughing, but they were doing that open mic laugh where people go, ah. <laughs> which it it's it says I acknowledge that you've done something, but n- <laughs> right. no pleasure was generated right. by it. No <laughs> joy was had. And I listened to the jokes and every joke was blah, 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 reference. Mm-hmm. So it was like, blah, 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 wait, 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 you know, uh, it's Transformers, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah, TV show. And I realized the reactions they weren't having, they, they weren't having reactions based on joy or pleasure. It was, ah, we're both smart because we know what that reference is. Yeah. Remember this one? That's one? like, that's like television humor, really. 
Like that's where a lot of television shows have gotten to. Yeah, like, it's just your rewards you for the first thought you have. Right. That's it. It yeah. doesn't go any deeper than that. Yeah. It's uh, that is recognition and surprise. It's all recognition. It's only has. recognition. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Uh, well, you know, and I was asking you this previously. You do a lot of road work. I've noticed in in my limited experience mm-hmm. doing road work that there's a definite different sense of humor on the road versus New York. Like yeah. in New York, people kind of seem to more want the layered jokes that they have to pick through in order to find the funny mm-hmm. in it. Almost like it seems like in in my experience that there's a little bit more of like a desire for that. Um, if you have like a New York specific crowd. Uh-huh. Um, um, but then if you go out on the road, people want stuff that's very easy to di- to digest. They want something that is accessible and mm. like very apparently funny, like right from the get go. And that might be an incorrect assessment of what I'm of the situation. But I I would just notice like the more long kind of narrative jokes that I would have that would still be like have be peppered with uh-huh. with, you know, punchlines, you know, every every couple of seconds to like get it going. That kind of stuff would work a lot better in the city. But when I did it on the road, people were just like, I don't want to follow this whole story. Yeah. Um, but if but the the really quick stuff, especially very sexual jokes, like mm. got, were, did very well. So you'd see these comics that you, you could see they had built their career on dick jokes. Like they did – they were doing dick jokes like really, really well, like really yeah. polished, polished dick jokes. And they were just destroying the room. That's what they say in, in Joe DeVito's class. If you're going to hit the road, polish those dick <laughs> polish jokes. you got to polish that dick. But yeah. if you bring it but – but the same comic was doing it in a room in New York, people would be like, wah, wah, like, you know. Well, there's a couple things at play there. Uh, and I think I became aware of them because I live on Long Island, but I started in Manhattan, was – Two things. I noticed that there are comics on Long Island who would crush in one of those clubs. Or we have shows in firehouses and things like that, mm-hmm. and that's how you know you make a couple of bucks. They're just monsters. They, they destroy. But if they came into Manhattan, they would look absurd because mm-hmm. they'd be in front of a small crowd in a small room, and they didn't seem like people. They seemed like cartoons. Mm-hmm. Right. The flip side was you had what we would call city comics. Mm-hmm. They would have their great sets here, and they would come out, and they would wilt on a bigger stage. And I wondered why is that? Uh, what I've traced it to is that in New York, and when we talk about a New York audience, we're not talking about a touristy midtown and people from Finland and Ohio and all that. We're talking about New Yorkers. Yeah, they give you more credit for trying something, even if you don't quite pull it off. They appreciate the uh, where they say you're. Uh, grasp exceeding your reach or, or mm-hmm. your reach exceeding your grasp, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. whichever it is. Um, so you can try something, but if you don't stick the landing, they still give you credit for trying. Whereas in the suburbs, people paid for a babysitter. They got dressed up. They bought an overpriced dinner. They paid mm-hmm. for parking. They are there for you to make them laugh. Mm-hmm. They don't give a shit about try. Mm-hmm. They're there. There's actually a sign at governors. They had a yoga, a Yoda saying there is no try. It's yeah. only do. Yeah. So, th- but conversely, why does it work the other way around though? With the, with the guys from the suburbs looking like you know that crush out in the suburbs looking like mm-hmm. cartoons in the city because they have no nuance. They are they. Uh, it's whereas, all bluster. Yeah, they like don't. Big. Now the guys who are taking the chances in the city sometimes they make it, sometimes they don't. The guys who are the road dudes they don't take chances. Mm. So you've got to find that balance. And that's that's yeah. what I think helped me was having my foot in both worlds at, at some point. I yeah. think the nuance, that's a great way to kind of uh, frame yeah, it. Yeah, not every joke yeah. has to hitch over. I mean, I have one joke in my act where I talk about freezing my sperm. And the joke is uh, everyone said I was crazy. 
because I didn't go to like a place. <laughs> now that joke has to hang in the air for a little yeah. while. Now that joke could have been, so I jerked off in the free. Like, yeah, right. I guess. But why not let the people figure it ha- out for themselves? Yeah, and have yeah. a little bit of the joy of, oh, they got it. Yeah. I didn't need to just show it to them and say, okay, I recognize that. They all created their own hilarious image of whatever yeah. they think that all means. Yeah. And there's certainly been shows where I've done that joke and waited and the recognition never came. Yeah. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. I was thinking about what you said uh, with the people paid and they they just want to laugh. Like, they're also not interested in the process. They're not, like, because now I think in 2017, so many shows are full of people who are, like, comedy nerds. They listen to these stupid podcasts. They're really into what's under the hood. This amazing (laughs) podcast, Patrick, Uh, (laughs) that's completely unique and no one has ever done anything like this before. So they're they're all, like, inside baseball people, so they like seeing seeing jokes bomb and they like seeing a comic save it by saying, well, that didn't work or that's new or whatever. And in the suburbs, they don't give a fuck about that. Well, they don't like, because they have real lives yeah. like normal people. Yeah. And that, you know, I used to watch comics go up and do a whole set about auditions. And they're mm. crushing with that audience. But the rest of the world, like, people yeah. go out and earn decent goddamn living. Yeah. They're not worried about getting on a TV commercial or something yeah. like that. And you have yeah. to acknowledge that. You can't, that's where a lot of, it's like the comics who go from doing shows in Manhattan. And they don't have to travel far. They just cross a bridge and they're talking about how tiny their apartment is and smoking weed. And, and normal people have to get up and go to work. I'm like, well, fuck this. This is a, yeah. I don't care about this person. They have nothing for So them. you think Long Island's much more indicative of the rest of the country in terms of their humor? Yeah. I think so. Yeah, once you cross those bridges, it's. How long have you lived in Long Island? 18 years. 18 years. I'm curious. Uh, one thing I like to kind of like get into a little bit. I mean, we, I mean, this is all like, I find it interesting and I could keep going on. You know, talking mm-hmm. about a lot of different aspects of this. What do you think of Jesus Christ, our Lord? What do you and think of, and have you accepted him into your heart? Into my heart, no. But uh, there is part on my lower back where I have accepted Jesus. <laughs> Sweet, very small right tramp the, stamp, right in the center. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, what? No, seriously. Well, like, what? Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about life outside of comedy? Because I think that um, I think it's important to have a balance, right? Yeah. Like, I think. Um, a lot of comics we talk to, especially early on, just can't see the forest for the trees, and and they all they do is comedy all the time, and I think yeah. they lose maybe some joy because they're so focused on it. I understand why, um, because because on the flip side, it's like if you don't focus enough, then you're you don't make progress, yeah, um, and you start sliding backwards. Um, what you know what what's your what's your kind of uh, comic? Well, first of all, is are you making your living on comedy? Yeah, I've been full time comic for ten years. Now. Okay, so like, what's 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 how does that work? And like, what what is your life outside of comedy? Like, how do you how do you play that balance? I mean, does that play into things like breakups and other yeah. things like that, or you know, how does that affect the the rest of your life? It's it's very important, and if you're not careful, it get away from you. Uh, I remember listening to an interview with Jeff Ross years ago, and he said, if you're not careful, your whole act becomes. Airplanes, TV commercials, and hotel rooms, because that's what your life becomes. Mm. Uh, now, I know what you mean about comics. You have to be obsessive when you start. It's very hard to do this as a hobby. To mm-hmm. go back to when you mentioned mm-hmm. people who aren't going to go anywhere, I hesitate to say that, but should they stop? Well, no, if they're getting pleasure out of it and, yeah. and they're not d- delusional thinking that something else is going to happen. But it's very hard to do this as a hobby because it takes a long time and a lot of effort to get competent and to stay 
pretty good. You have to mm-hmm. work. Um, but yeah, the the balance. Just in terms, first in terms of your act, you need to have something to talk about. Uh, not everyone can be like Bill Cosby was when he was talking about his childhood for decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, as it turns out, he had certainly more interesting things he could have been talking <laughs> about. Um, but you have to find that balance for your act. I think also as a human being, you have to find it because um, one of the things with this recent breakup for me is that she's also a performer. So it kind of, I, I felt very much like, oh, well, where do I go now? I can't even retreat into my comedy the way mm. uh, I had in other times. And it made me realize, like, oh, I need to go out and be more social. I'm in an odd st- spot because I live by myself on Long Island. Um, I'm a 48-year-old man. It's very hard to make new friends, and most of my friends outside of comedy live elsewhere and are married and have kids. So they've got mm-hmm. their- do you think you live that way because you're a comedian, or do you think you're a comedian because that's the kind of person that you are? I, You know what? A couple of years ago, I would have said the first one, and now I think it's because it suits – they both suit my temperament for better or for worse. For better or for worse, because I can be a self-starter, I can do my own thing, but I also tend to isolate myself, which is not good. It's not that is not healthy, uh, because my comic friends hang out with each other in New York City, whereas uh, Long Island, I kind of, you know, I go to the gym, and uh, that's really about it. I'm very antisocial, and that's not a particularly good way to. It's it's legit unhealthy. There was reading that they think. Uh, loneliness and isolation have a greater health toll. I, I think it's comparable to almost heart disease. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all about like community and stuff like that. Yeah, that's that shared interaction, which is why I was I say to um younger comics, talk to other people. Well, I was just you gonna know? say, I'll bet, I'll bet you. I mean, I don't know if you're giving yourself enough credit for how generous you are in the comedy community. I mean, you you teach these classes i don't think you're making a million bucks doing that you are very very kind to neil and mike and those guys out on the island by the way we uh, do collect your tax statement at the end of every podcast yeah so. oh, well then then you're in for a real laugh when you see that <laughs> uh and yeah you're you're a you're you're a giving guy when you're around so i i uh I don't know. It seems like you're pretty linked into this community. I think community. Patrick's about to suck your dick is what's going to happen. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm tickling see, his balls. That, you see, uh, he is afraid to share a moment of actual right, human right. connection. Yeah. <laughs> That's that, right. That's right. Well, yeah. Tristan will I, get the help he needs I'm, eventually. I'm very uh, – it, it warms my heart to hear you say that because the teaching the classes, I'm, su- I'm surprised how much I enjoy that. And there is a part at the end of every class where – I love each and every one of you. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, there yeah, really yeah. is a moment of true affection. And I noticed that early on that when they would do the showcases and you see – when you see someone who's worked hard improve, it it's, must be what it feels like when you see your kid hit a home run in a Little League game. It's that It means that much to me. Yeah. And another part is just my personality is that I see myself so much closer to where you guys in the, in the newer comics are than other comparable – in terms of experience and career, I, I still see myself as a brand new guy. Well, that's a yeah. great, that's a great attitude because honestly, I know comics that have been doing it for a long time, but less time than you and mm. have much more of a different attitude where yeah. they're like, yeah, actually, know. let me ask you about that. So I've, I've driven a couple headliners home now who have spent a good amount of the car ride saying how much they want to get out of the business. Yeah. Does it still excite you? Are you, do you, do you love it? I feel like if you if you're not enjoying what you're bringing to the stage, 
then all it is is long car rides and suitcase. It's all – then that's why you see these, those guys are so unhappy because mm-hmm. it's all just the bullshit mm-hmm. and that's rough. Mm-hmm. Then it's you – know, I don't know if he was in your class, but there was one guy who throw me nuts. That teaching's taught me really how to deal with people's personalities. He, um, he didn't do any of the writing assignments. And he, he said, he's, he didn't, I was, you know, I didn't, I don't like, to. no, first he started complaining about the open mics. He said, I'd like to go to the open mics. They're not fun. I don't enjoy them. And I kind of explained like, well, I don't really need to enjoy them. You just kind of need to do them. He goes, no. And I said, well, did you, did you do focus on the writing then? And he didn't do the assignments. And Neil was behind him rolling his eyes. So I said to him, let me get this straight. You don't want to get on stage and you don't want to write. Well, I hope you like long car trips because mm-hmm. that's all that's left to the job then. Mm-hmm. So for me, a new joke getting over gives me that yeah. charge that yeah. I like. And that's what keeps me coming back. I mean, so many like Buddhists would be like, you're, you're, you're enjoying the process and you're yeah. like in your, that's what fires you up. And like, that seems like the key because if you, if you're always focused on the results, you know, yeah. what happens when you get the result? Then, then, it's then like, you'll never be happy. Yeah. There's a, a psychologist, uh, very popular YouTube YouTube channel. This guy Jordan Peterson. Who oh I, yeah, you. Yeah. I, oh. By the way, I have been listening. Isn't he great? Uh, it's really mixing me up. I think it's probably yeah. a separate conversation. But well, he talks yeah. a lot. I was listening to one recently where he said, "What What does it mean to be a human being?" And he says, "Well, you you're two things. You are who you are, and you're also the thing that is becoming what you are. So you're this thing that you are now, but you're also this thing that's constantly changing and getting better. And he said, if you have to choose between the two, pick being the one that's becoming Mm -hmm. because then you're constantly – you're living. Mm -hmm. And for me as someone who doesn't really do relationships and doesn't have kids and don't even have a pet anymore. I mean it sounds rather sad, but for me, this is uh, what I do and – you know, there's certain things that I w- wish I could have done differently, but my life's p- clearly split into two parts before stand up comedy and after. Mm-hmm. And the part before, I look back and it seems kind of like a, a fuzzy, nostalgic, uh, you know, like a movie I saw once. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What was the part before? You know, my part before that was I went to work and I, I wrote my ads and I had. So you were, you were, you were in advertising? Yeah, I were, well, actually, my, it was direct mail. Uh-huh. Uh, it, which it's not really even a thing anymore for book club companies, which are also not really. A I thing. worked for Publishers Clearinghouse for a time. Oh, I worked for ter- Doubleday and for Book of the Month. So those were the three yeah. companies people would rotate terrible, between. Terrible, terrible yeah. company yeah. to work for. Yeah, you ever see get the things in the mail say get four books for a dollar? Yeah. I, I wrote that. That yeah. was me who came up with that. So I would do that. Uh, that. Actually, that was the time when I was competing in powerlifting. Mm-hmm. So my life was work, go to the gym, very rarely go on a date, and that was it. And just shred, just shred it. The guitar, <laughs> no, the powerlifting. Oh. The powerlifting, I did all right. At. I mean, it gave me something to focus on. So, were but, you like crazy like, ripped? No, no, I didn't do bodybuilding. I did these things where I competed in deadlift contests. Yeah, or, but don't you have to like? Don't you have to really build up muscle? Yeah, they don't care what you look like. It just it's a weight. Oh class yeah, I then, know, yeah, I know. Yeah, I was I was all right. I think um, my best year, I just missed cracking the top one hundred in my weight class. Did you ever shit your pants when you were doing that? No, but I I <laughs> thought I was squatting at the gym the other day, and I thought I almost gambled and lost. <laughs> there was a moment where I racked the bar, and I said, "Let me go on some diagnostics <laughs> here." Yeah. Uh, and and like you you've given me a lot of hope because I was I was thirty two when I I really committed to doing this, and you know there are days where you do the math and you're like, "What the fuck am I doing?" Yeah, but uh, you know it's like 
you just stay in the moment, enjoy the process. Well, and... you're very hard on yourself, and I hope well, that I can. I've been able to pull you out of that a little. You bit. You know, therapy is. I went back yeah. to therapy in December, and it's been all about not trying so hard and yeah. not being so hard on myself. So, uh, yeah, and and you know, you you're you're just like a inspire. You're you're working on. You were doing a lot of red eye appearances. And yeah. now you're on the Fox News radio, I did the radio. Right? It's yeah. so strange that I found this home at at Fox News, yeah. where they let me say whatever I want, and I host. This is where I was on one of their primetime shows last month, and I do Kennedy's show on Fox Business a couple times a month. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Tom Shalou, who's got the radio show now, who I know from Red Eye, who's a comic. Uh, they said to me. Yeah, we'd love to have you back on. And my new attitude is, I'll come in every Tuesday. Yeah. And I put up some clips, and I hear from people, and they say, look at all the things you're doing. You're doing great. And I sad to say, I need someone else to tell me, yeah, yeah, we're doing great. Because I'll argue down to it. You know, I'll, I, you can always make a negative thing true. You can always rain on your own parade. But there has to be a reason why people keep broadcasting my opinions. They can't. Right. It's not a fluke. They're not giving those spots to just anybody. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Fox yeah. News gave me a radio show for three hours. Yeah, yeah. Someone has faith in me at some yeah. level. Are you preparing for those kinds of things or just speaking? I, I always like or... to research, but I find it's a combination. You do your research, but you're not married to anything. What are you talking about? Talking about news. I mean, like, so is it political? By the way, I just want to say, yeah. I just want to say, follow Joe on Twitter. Always, always I do nailing, put up a lot of jokes, nailing yeah. the trending topics on Twitter. Yeah. Great, great jokes every day. Thanks. Uh, I've been on a bit of a, a roll lately with, is it at up? Joe DeVito? What is it's it? It's at Joe DeVito comedy. Yeah. And are you more of a conservative or a liberal person? Would you say I'm a libertarian? You're libertarian. So, okay. Yeah. And I find that quite a few comics, especially men who get a little bit older, I think, libertarianism appeals to us because we are very individualistic kind of people. Um, and sometimes because we have an inability to get along with others. Mm-hmm. That's There's so many things that draw people into stand-up. I think that's one of them. I don't always subscribe to the idea that we're all tortured geniuses. I think that's patting ourselves on the back sometimes. But I do think if you believe... At least that, the tortured part. The tortured part, yeah, yeah, in our own hands. But I do think if you believe everything's fine the way it is, you have no impetus to get up on a stage and address an audience. You're just out enjoying life, I guess. Right. Yeah, you're saying by being there, you're saying I have something important to say that you need to hear. Yeah. But that's interesting in terms of like, have you ever had an issue with generating content or has it always just kind of been there for you? You mean as far as hitting like a writer's block or anything like that? Yeah, I guess so. Or just like having them, you know, like I think there's different forms of it, right? Yeah. There's like having the motivation to yeah. to to kind of get out whatever's in you. That That I've struggled with in that I'm working. I have other things going on with the teaching and, and the media appearances, and I'm writing my little jokes here and there. What I really should be doing is sitting down, writing a new hour, sitting down, honing those short sets for to submit. I, I those that's where I drop the ball. That's where I get critical of myself. Um, when I did my album, I waited until I was 13 years into stand up before I came up with anything, and I reached a certain point where I said. This is where the perfect has become the enemy of the good. Mm. I want it to be perfect, so I'm not doing it. And another great quote I read recently, uh, too, one is that uh, done is better than perfect. Mm. And the other was the – he said, the contest is not between you 
and anyone else. It's between you and you not doing anything. Oh, I thought you were going to say it's between you and you a year ago. But oh, that's pretty good. I like that, yeah. too. Uh, it, it's more immediate. Yeah, I like that, though. It's between you and you not doing anything. Yeah, that's so you, great. you just yeah. have to keep at it. So when I finally recorded the album, we recorded three shows on Long Island, and then it was another month before I said, you're taking these rough audio tracks on your laptop to the public library, you're listening to all of them, and you're marking on this joke – uh, from this show, from 10 minutes and 45 seconds to 12 minutes and 13 seconds you like, whereas from this show, from 12 minutes. And, and I, I wrote out a schematic for the whole thing. And I remember when I sent that to the record company, they said, they said this is unbelievable. They said, no one has ever done this for us. And I said, well, this is where my OCD comes in handy. Yeah, yeah. So that that album, I think it'll hold up because that's a very good document of Everything I was ready to do up until that that time period. Yeah. And I think all you can ask is, are you when you're tested, do you perform at the top of your capabilities? That's success. Yeah. Because no, that what hurts is when you go up and you knew you could have done a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's you know years ago when I did last comic standing that New York showcase when I came off stage I felt good because I thought you know that's the that's what I got right now and yeah. I executed and I and that. Before they even announced my name, I thought, I'm in a good place. And, and I love hearing you talk like this because it, it reminds me that uh, it, it sound, you, you sound like um, LeBron James or someone. <laughs> you know, like it's like a very athletic way of approaching yeah. uh, what we do. It's like, did I do the best I could with mm. the tools I have? And if I really did give it my best shot and we still lost, like I still feel good about myself. You, you, you did. Know? Yeah. And. Those things, you know, there are all these little victories that you can have. And I do use sports metaphors a lot because mm-hmm. I feel like there's a, a real connection there. It's talking about human performance. And, yeah, you have to recognize those. You know, I think of um, uh, Alexiev, the famous Russian Olympic weightlifter back in the Soviets. They would give him a bonus every time he broke a record. So every time he competed, he would break his record by a pound or two. Mm-hmm. They keep getting the bonuses, but it was that constant improvement mm-hmm. that you shoot for. So maybe, maybe you get a little bit better. Maybe you add a new minute a week to your act. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe it's just you crack the code on a joke, and you oh, you know how much I love that mm-hmm. when someone in the class when we figure this shit out, where we move that magic combination of words around, and then it's like, ah, oh, god damn it, mm-hmm. I feel so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, those are those are great moments, and uh, you know, uh, I I just want to say thanks for all the inspiration you've given oh, me wow, as man. a comedian. Thanks. And I've had lots of we've had lots of writing sessions, Tristan and I, or me, Tristan, Neil, and the guys. And yeah, we really nerd out about word choice, and it's like <laughs> the ghost of Joe DeVito is over our yes. shoulders. So. Joe, do you want to plug anything coming up here in the future for you? Uh, when is this going to be posted? Any idea? Oh gosh! Let's, you know, we'll try to. We'll do it. We'll do it. Yeah, we'll, we'll do say it in, we'll do it. We'll do it in timely fashion. I, yeah, let's so. let's aim for yeah. within a month. Okay, yeah. at Joe Devito Comedy on Twitter and Instagram, and if you go to joedevito.com, there's a link to the blogs and everything yeah. else. Do you have the any regular shows that anybody can come see you, or like in Long Island? Yeah, if, you know, if, if you go to my webpage, I always have the schedule updated. Okay. All right, thanks so much, Joe. Joe this has hey, been great. I think we could have we could have gone much longer. There's a lot of fun yeah. stuff to talk about, but thank you for coming out. Right on. All right, take it easy. Thanks, everybody. Guys, this has been the Comics Table. I'm Sweet T. And I'm Sweet P. Have a great whatever. <laughs>